I'm Jared Coffin, and I'd like to become a project manager. You are listening to the Sensible Project Manager Podcast, Episode 30. Today's topic, Building Trust as a Project Manager, with Suzanne Madsen. Welcome to the Sensible Project Manager Podcast at SensiblePM.com, where you get an insider's edge on practical project management. Now, here is your host, Mark Phillippe. Welcome to the Sensible Project Manager Podcast. My name is Mark Phillippe, and I am the Sensible Project Manager. This is the podcast that helps new and aspiring project managers, as well as seasoned PMs, take a practical approach to project management. Now, as you might have already heard, uh, my voice is a little bit different than it has been in the past. I am battling a cold and maybe on the edge of bronchitis. So I'll try to shorten up this introduction. First, I wanted to make sure you understand where you're at. You have found the Aspiring Project Manager Mentoring Series, where I am helping Jared Coffin with his goal to become a project manager. Now, we've started this episode or this series in episode 24. So if you go to sensiblepm.com slash 24, you can see the beginning of that series, or you can go to sensiblepm.com slash aspiring. Now, so far, Jared and I have met with Naomi Coyote and Elizabeth Heron. Today, I want to share you the first half of a discussion that we had with Suzanne Madsen. Suzanne was gracious enough to to spend some quite a bit of time with us. We spent over an hour on two different topics. So I decided to separate those out into two different episodes. This first one, uh, we're going to be talking about building trust. And then the next episode, we'll be talking about motivating project teams. So this episode with Suzanne Madsen. Suzanne is a seasoned PM of about 16 years. She is an author and a uh, well-known coach, project management coach. She is the author of Project Management Coaching Workbook, as well as a recent publication, The Power of Project Leadership. Okay, so before I lose my voice, let's get started with Suzanne sharing a little bit about her and her experience as she became a project manager and how she got into project management. So, Jared, I'll give you a uh, a brief overview of, of who I am and what I've been doing. So, uh, first of all, I'm Danish, not that it matters hugely, but I, I am Danish. I've lived in the UK for the last 16 years, which is a long time now. I have been in project management for my entire career, which is now between 18 and 19 years. And I started as, you know, many people, accidental project manager. It was just after, what well, we said time, really when there was a big need for web development. It was when it all just started. We all got domain names and we registered our our our, our names. And I, I clearly remember that. And um, I happened to be recruited into a company that was doing um, websites. And it actually wasn't what I was hired to do, but it just so happened that they got their first clients to develop websites. And uh, they had one person who had been studying this on his own. He'd been coding and uh, there was no one to talk to the customer. So I naturally stepped into that gap of uh, what would you like, Mr. Mrs. Customer, and uh, how can we design that into a funky web solution? And here's our superstar who will go and, and develop it. And that's actually how it, how it started for me. And it didn't take many years before all the big companies needed web development. All the IT companies realized that they were really behind the curve because they had been focusing on technology, old-fashioned technology and not the website. So um, I started working for a company that got acquired by a, a technology company. 
And uh, overnight, I became an IT consultant, which is, as we all know, very well, it's very different from web development. And I don't have a technical background. I have a business background. And in the meantime, I was sitting in Denmark thinking, um, so where do I want to go in my career? And I went to London on holiday. And I thought, I want, I want to live in London. You're a project manager. Sure, you can project manage yourself into a job in London. And I saw, I read in the newspaper, it's like synchronicity. I love it when that happens. I read in the newspaper that this big, but Denmark's biggest web company was acquiring a, uh, or they were merging with, can't remember really, but they were setting up in London. I think they acquired a small, a small boutique in, in, in London. And I applied and I got the job. And, um, I was in Denmark for about three days and then they shipped me straight to London. And so I, th that was in the time, is, again, as many years ago, 16 years ago, we were doing web solutions and uh, e-commerce solutions. And it was just the beginning when people needed, you know, you could begin to make some purchases online. And, you know, so so that was very exciting. But that was actually when we got bought by a, an IT company and I became a an IT consultant overnight. And I thought, oh, let's give it a year at least. And, uh, of course, that, you know, I, I was an IT consultant for five, six years and worked for a number of industries and always in project management. Many, many different types of solutions. And, you know, all, all, basically there was some public sector work. There was some work for some telecoms companies. But actually what, what really had a big impact in my career was that I started working for a bank, JP Morgan. And there's a few ways into finance. One of them is if you get placed as a consultant. And by this point, of course, we were not doing any web development anymore. We were doing Java solutions. We were doing trading applications. And I was the project manager on site at JP Morgan to coordinate all of that. And I did three projects for JP Morgan as a, um, as a consultant. And I thought, hold on, why do they get the bonus and I don't? Just because I'm a consultant, I do all the work. <laughs> so um, I decided to work for my own bank, not just be a consultant. And I started working for Standard Bank, which is a South African bank. I don't think they're represented in the U.S., but um, they have their international investment banking headquarters in London. And so I worked there for a number of years, five, six years, and I was running some of their largest projects. The biggest project I was running there really helped define my own my own path because I was running a big project where uh, really the purpose was to um, to uh, save capital. And we were going to save, actually, the, um, the credit trading business by saving capital. By putting in place better risk management, we would make sure that we had to have less capital on the books. Hence, we could, we could you know, trade for more. You can imagine the kind of pressure I felt on my, on my shoulders if we didn't do this project well, which was a regulatory thing. If the regulators didn't say we had the proper risk management procedures in place, then that would not be any more be feasible for the bank to have that uh, line of business. So uh, I was, I mean, it was a two-year project. At some point, we had about 50 people working on it, uh, five different technical teams. And uh, even at some point, we didn't have a technical lead, and I stepped in as a technical lead. I mean, if you just know a little bit about my background, you know how insane that, that thought is because I, I, I'm not technical. But I was trying to make people talk to each other. And I was slowly getting very, very exhausted and, and probably heading for burnout. I uh, felt I had to know it all, do it all, be in control, micromanage, because it was the best I know, I knew. And um, it just so happened that towards the end of this project, which, by the way, went very well, I went on a five-day leadership course. I know that you've been talking about the MBTI earlier on. We did the MBTI, Myers-Briggs uh, indicator test. We did lots of different things. But what I really remember from that week is that we had one-on-one -on -one coaching. I came to this coaching session with... Uh, Help me. I'm exhausted. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I want to continue doing project management, but um, I don't know that I can physically 
do it. It's just too exhausting. And I came away from that one hour conversation with a complete, you know, it was a eureka moment. I, I didn't know how to change, but I knew that a change was possible because I realized within that one hour that there was another way. There was a more of a leadership way. There was a way where I had a choice, where I could choose not to get involved in the detail, where I could choose not to exhaust myself because it was simply a choice and there was another way. And it sounds so simple, it sounds so corny really, but really it's true up until that point I didn't realize I had a choice. I just thought this is what you do, project management, finance, technology, it's hard work, don't complain. Many people would want your job, but really that I, I think I was missing the point of, of me taking um, say, saying, you know, going a bit deeper and really defining how I wanted to work, how I could get the best for my team. And that, from that point onwards, which was in 2008, really shifted my career, shifted my consciousness. Because instead of being focused on getting things right, tracking progress, I got much more focused on, are we doing the right thing? How am I engaging with people? Are they doing the right thing? it became much more based on leadership, on engaging, on collaboration, rather than this controlling, micromanaging approach. I got so bowled over and, and inspired by coaching that I thought, I've got to find out what this is. So I, um, I took a number of coaching diplomas. I wrote my first book, the Project Management Coaching Workbook, which came out in 2012. I started coaching project managers at work and developers, and my managers thought it was great. She's doing two jobs. She's managing projects and she's coaching. Fantastic. And I thought it was great because I got to do, um, practice my coaching skills and I used the uh, the meeting rooms at work after work. So it was great. It was a great win-win situation. Of course, and, and, and I moved I moved on. I started working for Citigroup as a program director. And, and at some point, um, my coaching and leadership uh, interest just got, got too big for my job, if you like, because I started to speak. I started to uh, to coach more and more project managers and and people started contacting me to ask if I could do some consulting work for them. And I thought, hold on, I'm, I'm employed. <laughs> and so I realized that I had to actually make a big change and, and leave my job and become uh, set up on my own. And that's what I did three years ago. So uh, since then, I've been focusing on coaching project managers, mentoring project managers. I wrote my second book, uh, The Power of Project Leadership, which came out this year. And what I do now is I do I run a lot of workshops in the leadership skills, the leadership aspects of project management, because there's ample, there's a lot of courses out there already on the tools and the techniques. Uh, PMP, although they have more on the people side these days, is still very focused on um, on techniques. Nothing wrong with that. It's just not the full story. Uh, here in the UK and Europe, we have Prince2, which is quite big. We have the Association of Project Management, which is quite big. But there's not many who focus on the leadership uh, side of project management. So that's now what I what I focus on uh, pretty much full time. I've always been interested in understanding how people get started. And one of the first ob observations that Jared made was, hey, it seems like a lot of people that we talk about, talk to, they're accidental project managers. And that's true. I know that that was, that was true for myself. And sounds like it was true for you. It's very, very rare. It just seems like we just kind of fall right into that and we begin to, to gain some um, experience in, in some kind of leadership role. But developing that leadership, those leadership skills are really important. You don't just fall into knowing how to do those things. Would you agree? Yeah. And I, and I think it, it's on, on the one hand, it's good that people fall into it because it means that 
presumably there are some skills that that are needed. You know, there's a there's a, a good synergy. Um, and also back though in those days, I think there were not many project management um, qualifications out there. So it wasn't a conscious choice maybe to go into project management. It was more like there was a, a need for it. But also what happens then is, okay, so you may be good at coordinating stuff, which is when you become a project manager, an accidental one. But as you're saying, how do you then develop the leadership side? Because it is really the task side and the people side. And they must, this is a, a piece of advice, certainly, um, Jared, that I would like you to take to heart. If, and you may have heard this before, but there is a tendency in project management and, and, and definitely for project managers who are early on in their careers to focus on the task side and getting things done and moving things along and creating a plan. And why don't people do what I tell them to? You know, it's frustrating if, you know, if they would just report to me. It's, it's that view of, um, it's that rational view of, um, of the task side that is what I call it. Whereas it's really the people side that will make things move along on a project is really understanding human behavior, how to lead people and not just use your authority. The, the thing is, as project managers, we don't have much authority. And so it's this, um, you know, influencing. We need to influence and we, we have to lead in a matrix organization. But I think it's a good thing that we don't have authority because it means that we are forced to develop our influencing skills if you really want to be successful. And I, I, I still, uh, yesterday I was listening to this conference online of women, women in business. And some of them had some some stories, you know, of, of um, bullies, how to deal with bullies. And there are, you know, some people who, who have high positions, who are CEOs or, or directors or whatever, they have authority. So they may get away with just telling people what they want and how to do it. And, and maybe they don't even recognize that they are that they are bullies. I'm not saying they all are, but certainly in the extreme end of the telling, I, I want you to do this way, I'm using my power and authority over you, it can be very, it can be bullying. And so as project managers, it's very hard for us to fall into that because um, we don't have that authority over people. And, and actually, that's a good, that's a good thing. You know, it's interesting, as we have been talking, uh, Jared, together, one of the things that we have had some discussions about some of the technical aspects of project management, but most everything we have talked about so far and most of the, the items that we have to talk about in the future really are on the people side and leadership side. And I don't know, Jared, if you've noticed that, that or not, or if anything st strikes you about that, but that's an important thing. Let's see if we can take the, the topic that we want to talk about today is building trust with our team members and, and also uh, with stakeholders as well as trying to understand how we can motivate those team members. That's a, those are leadership skills, uh, in itself. And so maybe Suzanne, let's talk a little bit about what have you experienced in the past that are effective ways in building trust with a team? Yeah, and I'm, I'm so pleased that, that trust is on the agenda today and that, that you've incorporated it into this program for Jared because it is just super important. Let's just take a step back and consider what happens if we don't have trust. And we've probably all been in low trust environments because it's really it's really the environment that we're working in that, that matters. So low trust, what does it mean? It means we don't trust each other. It means that we then get people may get fearful of what will happen. There's no transparency, information isn't flowing freely. So we don't know. So we get fearful or skeptical because we don't know. Maybe people are talking about me 
you know, they go into a meeting room and, and instantly we think, oh, is it about me? Is it something I did wrong? That's, that's a low trust environment. I think low trust environments, we have more lack of collaboration. There's more single mindedness working in silos. It's almost like I have to do my stuff. I have to do my stuff well. Again, I think it's, it's fear. It's led by fear. Maybe people are not conscious of it, but there's an underlying, uh, level of, of fear. And um, also when we when we talk about these concepts like resistance, resistance to change, people resist because they're, they're afraid, they're fearful of losing something or not being good enough at going to something new. That's also a result of low trust. So I'm so pleased that trust is being is a concept that it's, it's now more accepted to talk about it in, in, in business relationships because some people would even say it's the most fundamental currency of any business relationship. So I think it's clear why it is important. I don't know, Jared, let, let's, let's hear from you. Have you been, or what situations have you been in where you'd say there was low trust? Well, I'd say many. Fairly recently, or not too long ago, let's say there's, you know, I was in a bit of a dictatorship environment. So you, you had to, you know, you, the team got very quiet or, you know, they would, you know, they, we as a team worked very well together to figure things out. But, uh, you know, there was always cautious and walking on eggshells and being careful uh, because, you know, the head of the group, you know, used a dictatorship style. So they're, they're definitely, you know, going back in all of my web development, especially, you know, in the beginning, uh, yes, there's definitely that. There, there is low trust, and you have to, like, you have to be careful. So that's those are the low trust, uh, I guess, examples. You're, you're, um, and I guess ultimately a sign, a, a great sign of it is turnover. People come and the people go. You know, they, they're just, you know, as soon as they land the job, they, they're, they've got their resume out and they're just, you know, on the path. Yeah, that's a good observation. So what do you think that person, so was it a person who was leading the team you're in? Yes. What do you think that person could have done differently to change that dictatorship style and to open up a bit more and to build more trust? I would say, well, first of all, you don't snap at your people. Mm. Um, you don't snap fingers when you're speaking to them and, you know, saying it's it's all about, it kind of infers that it's 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 all you know, how does it benefit me personally as, as the leader? Mm. You know, how, how do your actions, do your actions make me look good? And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's being some, um, when the team thinks you're not going to listen, you know, you just shut up and listen to what I have to say. And that's all I care about. Um, and then just get it done is, um, don't, I'd say not do that and open up and, and just kind of, listen a little bit or convince the team that you are going to be somebody who works with them, not against them or, you know. Yeah. 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 And I, I loved how you mentioned listening because that's actually a big, big piece of it. People want to feel understood. Actually, we that's one of the uh, biggest gifts we can give people is to uh, give them our time and make them feel that we understand them. That goes for personal relationships as, as well as business relationships. I'd like to talk about four steps to building trust, not four steps, four ways of building trust or four elements of building trust. And I'm keen to hear your views, Jared, on how you feel that they fit in, whether they're useful. 
And I think it would be good for you to imagine that you're in a situation where you would like to build trust with someone for this to be most effective. So if you imagine, if you think of a person from your current work situation or a previous work situation where you feel, actually, I would like to build more trust with them. It could be this leader you manager you just talked about. Or it could be a stakeholder or any, anyone else. I would just, I think it would be useful for you to have someone in mind. And do you have someone in mind now? I, I do. I, I have several, uh, especially in, you know, in smaller companies when you're, when I'm working with, with management directly as the developer, I'd like to build trust with them. I'm going actually uh, back at least 10 years and I'm thinking about, uh, okay. um, a small company. Yeah. Cool. So just keep that person or those people in mind. So the first, because it will make it easier to apply. So the first element for you to build trust with that person or those people will be to demonstrate your competence. What do we mean by competence? We mean that in order for us to trust anyone, we really have to demonstrate that we are knowledgeable within the field we're in. So go, I know you said you were going back some years and back then you were not in a project management position. So your competence uh, would be in an area maybe of web development, I'm guessing. If you are building trust with someone today or in the future now when you are taking on a project management role, it will be very important that you demonstrate your competence within project management. So this is really the professional layer, if you like. It's, an, it's just one of four elements of building trust. It's, it's important, but it's not all of it. So what, what can we do? Well, in your web world, it's about knowing what you're talking about. It's about knowing that demonstrating you have experience with previous uh, web projects, etc. Experience is a big part of, of building competence, of, of demonstrating competence. I think in your new role with project management, it would be maybe you demonstrate your competence by studying PMP. Uh, maybe not, right? It's it's a first level, but we all know that just because we've studied it doesn't actually mean that we're competent in applying it. So experience will help you to demonstrate your competence. Some people are very competent, but they're still not good at showing it, right? So it's a question also of not putting ourselves down or playing small. You know, we, we have to enable, we have to show what we're capable of. But actually, in most situations, it's not competence that hampers trust. Because we are professionals, most of us are pretty competent at our jobs. You know, we, we know, we actually know what we're talking about. Not everyone, but, you know, by and large, the people I train, they're pretty competent in, in the basics. And and because you're already enrolled in this program, you're doing a lot to actually augment your knowledge, and you have already experience from this environment, uh, competence... You need to keep working out because you're new in project management, but my guess is that's not where you will find it. That's not what you will find challenging. The second element of building trust, I think, is much larger, actually, and can be more difficult to master, which is more about building a connection with a person. And this is where the listening comes in that you mentioned before. This is where if we want to build trust, if we want someone to trust us, we really need to feel there is empathy, that someone else understands us. So that means that if we build trust, we want we need to demonstrate that we can walk in someone else's shoes. That is really the uh, the definition of empathy, that we are able to walk in someone else's shoes, see what they see, feel what they feel, and understand uh, it from their point of view. Of course, we, we can never fully understand 
what someone else feels because we're not in their body. We don't see the world with their eyes. But we can try to understand. And inquiry, asking questions, listening, that is what is so important. Yesterday I heard someone say that oftentimes we say that we must listen with a view to understand. That is what Stephen Covey would say in his Seven Habits of Highly uh, Effective People. Listen to understand. But yesterday this lady who was speaking on the podcast was saying, actually we must listen to connect. It's a different way of listening when we connect. I'm not listening to understand. I'm listening simply to create a connection between you and I. And I think that's deeper. In, in coaching, we talk about three levels of listening. This level one, which is um, someone might be listening to this uh, recording right now. And at the same time, they're listening to our voices, but they really have their own internal mind chatter going on. What do I need to cook for dinner? I need to pick up my kids. Or I need to make sure I send this email before the end of the day. That's l listening at level one. We only half listening because we have our internal dialogue. Listening at level two means that we are focused on the other person. So we are fully listening. We're present. And that's good. That's a good step. But if we want to listen with a view to connect, and that's what we do in coaching, we actually listen. We, we call it global listening. We are not just listening with our ears we are we're using our intuition to take in the full person what's really going on for them what what are they really and i hear their words but what is it really that they're trying to say what what do i what, what are they saying between the lines and that is you can only listen at that level if we are fully focused and 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 actually use all of our senses so i loved that uh, way of describing it as, as listening uh, with a way to connect with other people the third level to build trust is honesty. It, it's that's fundamental, you know, uh, it's, it's really a, a very important pillar. Honesty means that we come across in a project environment or a professional environment as being reliable. Most project managers, or indeed any professionals I know, they don't walk around feeling or being dishonest. They don't walk around, you know, like lying. It's not really what we do when we're professionals, but what we do do is that we overpromise. So it's very, very dangerous and, and tempting to overpromise as a product manager to say to your client, "Oh yeah, 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 I'll I'll send out the minutes by the end of uh, of the day," or "Of course I can get you that report by the end of the week," or if they're asking for a change request, "Yeah, let's let's see what we can do. I'll do my best," and so. When we are making promises, however big or small they are, and we're not able to honor them, we do come across as uh, unreliable. And that, that's really that piece of being dishonest that, um, that, that comes in. So although we're not directly lying, we're actually just dishonest. Uh, sorry, we're actually coming across as unreliable. And the fourth element that I want to share right now before I hear all of your amazing comments back here and, and how, how you feel this is relevant to you, is that we must communicate clearly. If you are basically untrustworthy, you can't build trust just by communicating clearly. But if we have the other three elements of being competent, being able to connect and empathize, and, and, and being honest, then clear communication will help to form what I call the circle of trust. In a protein environment, this is super, super important because there's a lot of stuff going on. So we need to always keep our stakeholders and team members in the loop, as we say. Communicate clearly about the risks and issues that we see. That's very important because otherwise management are not going to trust your leadership if they feel that you're sweeping things under the carpet, which goes back to the honesty again. It's also about being honest when we write uh, project reports. 
where is the project really at? Am I able to talk about that, which is uh, maybe a little bit difficult, meaning the, the, the issues that we're having? Am I able to name those real issues, both in meetings and in the reports? Or, or am I afraid of conflict? And so I'm trying to make it look better than it is. For sure, that's going to undermine our trust if, if we do that. But I think I've been talking enough about these four elements. Over to you. And what, what I think will be useful from you is, um, Jared, is what do you think of these? And do you think they can apply in relation to the person or the people you were just thinking about? Absolutely. Uh, working backwards, um, the communication. <clears throat> and um, I've also been thinking more recently, you know, in a more recent project, uh, communication uh, was an was an issue because I did telecommute, you know, to fulfill their projects. But I, they, when I get the assignments, instead of saying like, do that thing that we talked about the other day, you have to be, ex you have to specify exactly if, you know, so if I'm a project manager to a team of web developers, if I have emails with a quick assignment, they must have a link on it. They must tell them exactly where it is or what they have to fix. But I found myself with the most recent project, I have to pull, you know, with several emails, call me, please, you know, and just pull out the information so I know exactly what it is um, that they want to do. So, you know, in learning that, being in, in their shoes and the way they communicate assignments, you know, I'll take that in consideration, you know, when I become a project manager. And also, if emails... And this is a trust thing. You can lose trust or credibility very quickly if your emails exceed um, two round trips and the uh, recipient still doesn't understand what you want from them, but you insist on continuing the conversation with email without using a phone. Yeah. Uh, that could really break a relationship very quickly uh, with uh, over emailing. So, and then uh, going back, I, I guess steps backwards. The uh, listen to uh, connect. You uh, to me, I guess that that's very helpful. You you do want to take in the whole person. You know, you're listening to what you're hearing, what they say. You understand on that next level, and then take in. I, I think it means to take in everything that they're about. You know, as uh, when you're listening. So I think those I think those are examples of where I could apply. Jared, how do you feel like you do in those four steps? Do you have are you fairly competent in those things or are those pieces or there are there things that you need to work on in those those steps that she's talked about? Um I th I think I'm I think I'm a good uh listener and and the part about understanding is know that I'm asking good questions and the right questions. So I, I think I'm, I think I do that well. Um, and as far as communicating, you know, I, I think, and, and I guess some aspects of it, I could use some practice and that is getting trust with, uh, you know, I'm working on that now actually with the uh, vol volunteer, the volunteering that I'm doing with the uh, career development, um, that, that side of the uh, project management chapter. And I, I feel like I'm leading, you know, I'm holding the uh, meetings, so I feel like I'm leading leaders. It, it's a little intimidating because I know I, I've 
like I, I have a cap M certificate and he's, you know, everybody around our experienced project managers. And so they're natural leaders. So I, uh, I have to, I guess, work on gaining their trust and, and, uh, maybe organizing a little bit better. I think, uh, that could be improved upon. Do you feel like you are very good at delivering on your commitments that you make? Uh, I, you know, with, with years of practice, you know, in the workplace, I think so. I've delivered and you, and on time, usually, usually on time, there are, there's certainly times when, um, things are over the mark and what they expected. So that, that's the, uh, over promise under deliver, um, thing that, that does, that did happen from time to time. I know that I, I personally find myself struggling with that. I, uh, I, I, it's so easy to say, Oh yeah, I can do that. And then you lose track of time and then you find out, Oh man, I, I was supposed to send out that email or I was supposed to follow up on, on this item here. And it's easy to, to, to skip by. So, but I, I completely agree with you, Suzanne, that to be able to, to, to deliver on your commitments. That's really important. It, it does. And it does go back to, you know, when I, when I get an assignment or a project, they ask you from the very beginning, even if it is a three week long project, you know, what's it going to take? What's the LOE um, or level of effort for this project? Basically how long, you know, how long, how much is a typical, uh, you know, is the question. And uh, so I try to best guess it. I, I always allot padding, but, and when I put in a lot of padding, and then in some cases they say, no, we don't like that. And I say, well, that's what it takes. It usually, I put on some padding and even adding that padding, that's exactly what it did take. The, adding the padding was, um, what, you know, kind of landed the uh, right amount of hours as I expected in the beginning. And even if in the beginning when I thought to myself, oh, it can't take that long, but with the padding, it did take that long. I find it in those situations useful if you uh, verbalize the risks because people might say, why do you need all that padding? You're just sandbagging it. It's just, you know, and, and, and management will cut it right back to the bone and then we end up being late again. But But if we can articulate more specifically what is it that can go wrong i find that more sometimes more helpful okay because it explains yeah. why why the padding why specifically oh okay uh yeah that's a that's a very good point and it's i think one of the big things i had to work on was um you know i can speak to peers certainly that's easy enough um but always you know in the front line to convey to management or to, you know to the executives you usually do have to come up with the why is this going to take this amount of time and risks. And I still have to work. I think I could improve upon that and gathering risks and convincing that, you know, yes, this is really what it takes. So, Jared, I have another question for you. Can you see how these four steps can be applied towards building trust to a team? Um, absolutely. I, I can see that. Certainly that they, they are, and I think they're absolutely essential. And, you know, and, and I could see how I could use them, use them to, uh, 
you know, convince a team this is, you know, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. One of my friends from, uh, I bet we've been friends for a while is, is a, a Microsoft developer. And I said, well, what do you, you know, this project manager asked, you know, what, what qualifications do we need for say .NET? And he said, well, I'm not really, you know, I'm not really a .NET developer, but he did make the comment of the best project managers that we knew were the ones that when we were done with, when we were finished with the meeting, they knew exactly what they were supposed to do and when. And uh, um, IT people appreciate that very much. My experience with uh, when I was working uh, with ADP, uh, we, we had a website, HR411, which was kind of like a uh, site, you know, in lieu of, of uh, human resources. So we had project, project managers like that. And when I think of project, though, that's my best experience with project managers is that they, they made, they did make things crystal clear. And I really learned from that. They told you exactly why, why, why do we have three week sprints? And then why do we have scrums every day, every other day, or, you know, in this timely manner? Oh, I like how you're saying that. And it also ties back to something you said earlier on in the conversation. You motivated to go into this space because you, you, you want to be that, um, the bridge between the team and the business or the team and the customer, however you put it. And, and I think part of making these things so clear and having these answers is absolutely crucial to the role. Um, to, to be, to be like, um, yeah, to be able to communicate what's really happening in the team as well. I, I, yeah, absolutely. It was, you know, I've done, I've done this, done web development and been in, you know, front from, from end to end, uh, IT, uh, for a long time. And I really think, I, I even think I'm, I'm overdue and going back, I would have certainly started this, started becoming a project manager much earlier on because when I think about it, it was really what the, the, ultimately the team, wants a wants more of a project manager than they do a really technical person. They always seem to appreciate that better. Like they they want somebody to talk to and say, oh how are you know I always I always saw that, you know, thinking about being an accidental PM, if I'd realized that, uh that certainly would have been a way to the best course of action. Is they want they really more more than not, they want somebody to speak with the third-party developers, and they do a lot of outsourcing. And uh, I have I have enough you know enough knowledge in web developing, but more importantly, um, speak and gather to and have the know the people who can do this. Okay, let's stop it right there. Susan shared with us four important components of building trust. You can go to sensible PM dot com slash 30 to review my notes on our discussion. Now in our next episode, you'll hear the rest of our discussion on the topic of motivation. And here's a preview. Now, Suzanne, so we've talked about trust, gaining trust in the, in the team. How does, or does it relate to the motivation of a team? Once, as you gain that trust in a team or that the team gains trust in you, how does that translate and additional things that uh, are required to help motivate that team. Yeah, I think the common thread here is uh, human behavior, you know, it, and, and that logic doesn't cut it. Logic doesn't cut it when we're talking trust. 
logic doesn't cut it when we're talking uh, motivational because we are not we are just not logical and rational because we're people we are human thank you again suzanne for that great inspiration and information about project management and for sharing your expertise with jared as he becomes a project manager now, i want to remind you that i've announced this a few times now if you are an aspiring project manager i am putting together a free course to help you become a project manager yourself. Now, that uh, that free aspiring project management course is still in the works. I'm getting real, real close. But if you want to sign up ahead of time so you can get to uh, get information about that when it's available, sign up at sensiblepm.com slash 30. Now, if you would do me a one last favor, I have started up also a new Facebook page. You can find that Facebook page at facebook.com slash sensible pm look me up join in the conversation and if you would like my page now remember a sensible project manager always looks for a practical way to lead a project to success you've been listening to the sensible project manager mark Philippi, on the sensible project manager podcast to learn more about practical project management visit us at sensiblepm.com. pm.com